Hey, welcome to night school. Yeah, February 1st. Happy February 1st. Year, that's what they're saying. It's the year of the tiger. You heard about this? It's the year of the tiger. The year of the tiger is upon us. Now, I wanted to comment about what I always comment about. You know, in the spirit of self-awareness, but also just to take a bigger picture look at something that I always comment on these days to the point where it's probably obnoxious. It's obnoxious to me even, but, you know, pointing out the it's a small world trend in casting, which is not new, but it's certainly ramped up. It's certainly become a rule in entertainment. And it's not just the, the, the diversity in casting, the mandatory diversity quotas in casting. It's also, we're seeing it a lot with gender and sexuality, you know, where changing characters into women, there's a lot more bisexual characters. I've noticed this. There's a lot more stories where they'll make a character bisexual, not just gay. They'll make them bisexual. And I think that's because it allows them to do a lot more. No pun intended. It's like you can, now you can write homosexual relationships into a story, but you can also keep those heterosexual relationships in there too. But I've become aware of the fact that a lot of different stories have now made characters bisexual. I actually, I was looking at a list of them, and it's interesting to see that, how much that is happening. But as far as the bigger picture of it, you know, it's not its not like I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so pissed that they're doing that. Oh my God, how dare they? Can you believe they're doing this? Like, I do find it irritating because uh, it, it, it is one of those ideas like, at what point do you stop doing that? And why is it necessary? And we've seen where when someone doesn't do that, it gets commentary too. A good example of that is that movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I never saw it. Maybe I'd like it. Maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I haven't seen any new Quentin Tarantino movies in years. Um, but, uh, you know, when that movie came out, there were articles about it that were like, it's an all-white cast. Can you believe this? It's an all-white cast. There, there were people saying things like, well, if you needed one more reason not to like Quentin Tarantino, here's it, all white cast. I'm sure it's not all white, but it's a mostly white cast. It's to the point where people were aware of it. In the same way that somebody else might have this sort of reactionary approach where it's like, oh, it's the, it's a small world cast. They got one of everybody. There's also a type of person who sees an all-white cast and is like, oh, they must have done that de- deliberately to exclude people. And that movie was called Reactionary. People called Once Upon a Time in America Reactionary. And was it? I don't know. I mean, I, I'd have to see it to really comment on that. But the fact that anybody thought that at all and a lot of that had to do with the way it was cast, the way it was uh, presented. But I want to get into you know something that, to my discredit, I haven't mentioned, but it is a part of my interest in that subject. 
And maybe this is a way of just closing out that topic because I don't want to comment every time I see that. I don't want to comment every every time I see the it's a small world effect in casting. I don't want to be like, can you believe they're doing this? Uh, so just maybe this is a way of just kind of hitting hitting that topic. Uh, I don't know, just hitting hitting that topic once and for all. Which is, you know, human psychology, why people do want representation in movies. And do they? Because the idea is that people see a movie, and if they don't see somebody who looks like them, they feel alienated. And the cynical side of that, and I don't think it's cynical, I think it's true, is that the movies want to sell to a larger audience. And they think if more people feel represented... More people will uh, will put more butts in seats, sell more tickets, sell more tickies. We want to sell more tickies. So that's like the cynical side is it will make more money. This will be more successful if more people are represented. But then the human side of that is do people need to feel represented? You know, if somebody sees a movie and they don't see somebody who looks like them, who they can identify with, will that be unattractive to them? Well, we can see where people can enjoy things that they don't immediately identify with. There's no rule in in our being that says, oh, if I don't immediately relate to this, if I don't identify with the characters, I can't like it. There's, no, there's nothing in us that says that. I mean, there's, there's something. Like, we do like that to a certain extent, but it's, it doesn't rule our taste. You know, a good example of that is when I was growing up, before anime kind of became the standard form of animation in the West, at some point, like, all the normal, like, Western-produced children's cartoons started to look like anime. But when I was a teenager, young teenager, I had a couple friends who were into anime. And at that point, it's not like anime was super obscure or anything, but it was a little harder to get a hold of. You know, it was still mostly produced in Japan. It was still heavily Japanese. But I had a couple of those friends, and I knew some other kids as well through them, who were total Japanophiles. They were obsessed with anime, video games, Japanese culture in general. And they liked it because it was Japanese. They weren't sitting there being like, well, I need to see an American character. These kids loved Japan. They would take Japanese language classes. Like when when Japanese language class became available in high school, they all took it. And everybody knows this about anime kids, at least the anime kids of old, is that they're total Japanophiles. And they're not looking to see themselves in that. They actually like the fact that it's Japanese. And I mean, getting away from anime kids, you know, you can look at something like a samurai movie. And, you know, aside from examples like American Samurai or something where the story is about an American who becomes a samurai, if you were to watch an old samurai movie... You like the fact that it's Japanese. You don't watch an old samurai movie about Japan and say, oh, hey, you know, this would be a lot better if I could identify. 
if one of those if one of those samurai in the background was looked like me, I'd like this more. No, because you know that it's about Japanese culture. You know that it's about samurai. It doesn't alienate you, because the experience that you're getting is is Japan. It's samurai culture. And you could say, well, that's nonfiction. Well, we can see where these casting decisions impact nonfiction as well. The Anne Boleyn example I always refer to, where even something that refers to historical figures gets the it's a small world treatment. But people tend to be accepting of the fact that if you watch a movie about a certain culture or historical figures, they're going to represent that culture or the people who actually existed in that time. Like, people readily understand that. Like, people aren't stupid. But even fiction, you know, because it's not like fiction is... I mean, there's this. I, I've I've read some articles and essays and things about this subject because I I don't want to just have my own tunnel vision on it, and I've read some of the justifications people have for why they make these decisions, and they have a ton of them. People come up with all kinds of justifications, and they do it especially with fiction because they can because they can say, well, it's fiction, so we can do whatever we want, and that's true. Yeah, it's fiction. But it seems like we do whatever we want, even with nonfiction. But with fiction, some of the justifications I've seen are, you know, that it's 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 not, uh, you know, it's it's just a product of the imagination, and we can cast whoever we want in these roles, even if it differs from the source material. But fiction is still tied to. Fiction is still cultural, and that's kind of what I was getting at yesterday when I mentioned that fantasy is largely European. The fantasy, sword, and sorcery genre, genre, the genre, it's European in nature. It's not that it takes place in Europe, but Tolkien's a good example where he was writing an alternate history or mythology of Europe, of Western Europe. He was deliberately doing that. A lot of fantasy is rooted in medieval Europe. There are castles, there are kings, there's swords and sorcery. And when you get into the sorcery and you get into these other creatures, these fictional creatures and species, you know, obviously it's not an actual history of Europe, but it's rooted in a history of Europe. It's not that different than anime to me. You know, fantasy is kind of European anime. It sounds funny, but I think it's kind of true. It's almost like this European anime. And when you pay attention to fantasy, the foundations of the fantasy genre, you understand that it's going to be Eurocentric in a way. Not that it ex- it's deliberately excluding anybody else. Not that it can't include other elements. Of course it does. A lot of fantasy stories have different regions in the story, in the world. And it'll have characters who look different and who, who do different things. But it's treated organically. But when you watch that, you, you under, or when you watch a fantasy movie or read a fantasy book, you understand that it's going to be Eurocentric, 
not not in the sense that it's deliberately excluding anybody else, but that's where it comes from. That's where the authors who influenced the genre came from. That's what they were inspired by. And um, when you change that just to shake things up or appeal to a different audience, you are shaking the foundations of the genre. And if you do that in a way that isn't particularly creative, you know, it takes people out of that. And why shouldn't you be able to enjoy fantasy from a more Eurocentric point of view? Not that it's actual Europe, but why shouldn't you be able to enjoy it from the point of view that, okay, this is a product of a certain culture. You know, you don't watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is very much fantasy as well. People don't fly through the air like that. There's an element of magic in it, last I checked. You don't watch that and think like, well, I, I sure wish that, the, that more people were represented. Because you understand that this is a product of a certain culture. And I don't think people need to be represented to enjoy something. I don't understand where this idea comes from that we are all so ethnically and culturally narcissistic that we can't enjoy something without identifying with a character or half the characters. Because, I mean, you just look at people's taste. I mean, you have the anime kids, the Japanophiles that I grew up with, where they were obsessed with Japan, and they liked the fact that it was Japanese. They liked the fact that it was foreign. They liked the fact, they seemingly liked the fact that they themselves were not a part of it that the characters didn't talk like them or look like them. And with, um, you know, you can just see people's taste in rap. Like, I was part of the generation where things shifted heavily. Like, my sister's generation, people were still listening to a lot of alternative rock. Her and her friends would sit around listening to grunge and whatever was mainstream heavy metal was at the time. They listened to a lot of rock. And then around the time that I got into junior high was when the shift happened where, like, everybody was listening to R&B and rap. And when people would listen to R&B and rap, they didn't need to identify with it. Yeah, they might kind of pretend that it, that it meant more to them because it gave them street credibility. Like, when a white kid in the suburbs is listening to rap, there's a part of them that's like, oh, this makes me tougher. I'm going to pretend that I identify with this more than I do. But they don't need the actual music to speak for them. They don't need a, a black rapper to include the white experience in that. And they actually like it because it doesn't do that. And when somebody tried to be a white rapper, I don't know what it's like now, but when someone tried to be a white rapper, they received mockery and scorn. Because the idea was that, oh, that's not your culture. That doesn't, it doesn't fit. And there were exceptions, but still, growing up, you would hear all the time, oh, he's a white rapper. Oh, what's he trying to do? He's a white rapper. So it wasn't even just that people enjoyed rap, even though they didn't identify with the people doing it and the subject matter being discussed. 
It's that they actually opposed identification with it. They actually opposed when, when a white rapper would show up, unless they were very good, unless they were Eminem. They actually kind of opposed the whole idea. Which tells you we don't need to identify with something. We're not so narcissistic that we have to feel like it represents us. And especially if it's about a certain subject. Like what made fantasy popular, for example, is the fact that it was this sort of twist on medieval Europe. It wasn't. And what made it cool is that it's not just a it's not just historical fiction about medieval Europe. It adds little elements. It adds its own mythology. And that's kind of what Tolkien was doing, was creating his own alternate mythology. But still rooted in in European history in its own way. And the other side of it too, though, is let's say that that argument is true, because this, this seems to be the, the only real steel man argument I can come up with. You know, aside from the fact that these uh, publishers and... Uh, production houses want to sell more tickets and they think that by broadening the range of characters backgrounds actors backgrounds they'll sell more tickets the idea is that there are all these people out here who feel left out there are all these races of people there are all these women who feel left out i can't say what those people feel i don't know i've never met i've never really come across anybody making a legitimate argument that I wanted to get into Wheel of Time, but the fact that all of the characters were white made me resistant. I felt left out. I felt put off. Because there was nothing exclusionary about it. You know, something like Wheel of Time wasn't prejudiced against people who aren't white. But it was fantasy. And it reflected that. It reflected what you've come to expect from the fantasy genre. And I read an article last night written by a guy. This was on the official, it was on the publisher's website, Tor, T-O-R, that published the Wheel of Time books. And it was this long essay, because apparently it was very controversial when they cast the show the way they did. And a guy wrote an essay justifying why they cast the show. I don't know who he was. I don't know if he was even involved. He was a fan, obviously, but I don't know if he was even involved in the production of the show. But he was justifying like why they did this It's a Small World cast. And he, and he was saying that like his initial response when, they, when he saw the casting decisions was he didn't like it. But then he went on this rant, this, this, you know, and he even refers to himself in the essay. He's like, I'm very woke when it comes to race. And this article's from a few years ago. But he specifically used that word, woke. He said, I'm very woke when it comes to race. But even I felt that the casting was wrong. And then he, then he went on this justification for why it's a good thing. And he used the example, he's like, when I was a kid reading Wheel of Time, there might have been a black kid in my class who like looked over and wanted to read Wheel of Time, but couldn't because he didn't see himself in it. 
And I was like, is that hypothetical or was there an actual kid who felt that way? Are there significant numbers of black kids out there who wanted to read Wheel of Time but didn't feel like they could? And is it not understood that something like that, something like Wheel of Time or Lord of the Rings, because they're doing this to Lord of the Rings too. I mean, it knows no limit. That's, uh, that's kind of why I end up talking about it. This is one of the reasons why I do notice it so much because it knows no limit. It's the fat mannequins. It's at what point do you say, well, I think we've done that enough for now. You know, because Lord of the Rings is a good example where they're making a new TV show where they're going to have multiracial hobbits. As if that was missing. As if somebody was watching Lord of the Rings or reading Lord of the Rings and thought, gee, you know, I, I really wish that I could get into this, but I don't feel represented by the hobbits. Like, do you not understand that the hobbits are a species, a race of creature? It looks a certain way and where that came from, like why a British man during a certain time and place would have written them that way. Do you need to identify with them that heavily? Do you need Frodo to be black to get into it? Or can you not understand that this is a product of a certain time and place and people? And who does truly feel left out and who does this appeal to? With Wheel of Time having this diverse cast, are there significant numbers of black people who now love it because of that? There might be a few. I'm not going to say there's nobody. But are there people out there who say, oh, you know what? Now that Wheel of Time is a story that includes half, you know, half the cast is black. Half the cast is multiracial. Most of the cast, it seems like. Are there people out there who now feel drawn to it? And do they actually like it? I've seen very little evidence of this. I've seen very little evidence that that actually makes a significant difference. And as I've said before, these decisions are for white liberals. When they make casting decisions like this, it seems to appeal to white liberals. It doesn't seem to appeal that much to the people who weren't represented before. And you don't seem to hear about that many people out there who suddenly like it for that reason. And it's a very shallow reason to like something, just because you are now represented. But if that is such a motivation, if if that is this very pure motivation for these decisions that we've left out a lot of people. Marginalized people, minorities have been left out. And now we have, by including them, they're going to feel a lot better. They're going to identify with these stories. Well, shouldn't the opposite also apply? Like if just changing a character's race makes someone feel seen, makes someone identify with a story, doesn't it make sense that a different audience would now feel put off by that? If, if, we, are so, if we are such ethno-narcissists that we have to see ourselves in order to like something, 
in order to not feel excluded, even when it's not deliberately exclusive. It's not like these stories are prejudice. It's not like they're written from the point of view that by not having black characters, we're expressing a hatred for black people or a contempt. You know, it's not a part of these stories at all. But if somebody feels attracted to something because they change a character to black, shouldn't someone have the right to to feel less attracted to it for the same reason? If ethno-narcissism, if, you know, seeing somebody who looks like you is so important to liking something, when they change characters who did look like you to not look like you, shouldn't that put you off too? And shouldn't that be fine? But it's not fine. According to them, it's not fine. If you were a fan of Wheel of Time and you felt, and the characters were white, and that helped you identify with them, even though they're all white, but if if you identified with those characters more because you are white, if that's even your motivation, I mean, that's never even crossed my mind when I'm reading fantasy. But if they change those characters to black in the same way that that would make that character more attractive to a black audience, which I don't know that it does. I don't think there's much evidence of that. But if that's what it does, shouldn't that make sense that white audiences are now going to go, hmm, you know, I'm less, that character appeals to me less. If we are so racially and ethnically narcissistic that that's our response, shouldn't it be totally appropriate for a white audience to be put off when you make a character non-white? You make the character less relatable to them. But no, if you respond in that way, if you talk about these things the way I talk about them, you'll get called prejudice. You'll get called racist. Because it all plays into this very warped power conversation. Where, because white people aren't marginalized, because white people have been heavily represented, we should feel differently about it. If you're white, you should feel differently about it. You're not allowed to feel what other people feel about that. Even though that's apparently so important that we need to do it in every movie to appeal to people who feel left out. If you feel alienated because of those decisions, if you feel alienated because you are less represented now, you're wrong. And so that's part of the problem too. Is that this, this idea is presented that it's, it's so all-important that every single movie needs to be inclusive. But if you feel put off by that because you are less represented or not represented, that's a problem. But the real problem is it's so inorganic. It feels so inorganic. It's, you know, almost... Uh, I mean, it kills immersion because you are aware of it. Because at the very least, we're aware of that. Like one of the complaints I saw about Wheel of Time is that you have these villages. There are these remote villages. And apparently in the TV show, these remote villages in the Wheel of Time world will have people of every race in them. Like someone commented that every single scene in this remote village where everybody is the same, supposed to be the same, 
the scene will have an Asian person, a white person, a black person, this, and it just, it ruins immersion. And it does. When you see that, like, it's one thing if it's, if it's a cosmopolitan environment. There's an organic way to do this. And I mean, let's go to Game of Thrones for a second, because I think they handled that much better than others. And I don't know if, if Game of Thrones had been cast now, I don't know what would have happened, because they made a few of those decisions from what I understand. I never read the books. I bought them. I never actually read them. But from what I understand, for example, in Game of Thrones, the black eunuch, he's a former slave. They have this slave army that works for them, and they're all eunuchs. In the book, apparently, he's white, or at least relatively fair-skinned. And he's black on the show. He's one of few black characters, one of few main characters who's black. But it doesn't feel inorganic because that character comes from a different part of the world, a warmer climate. He's a former slave. He's not just there in Westeros and nobody acknowledges the fact that, oh, hey, there's a black guy here. It makes sense in the story. Even though they changed it from the book, it's organic. And as a result, you're not watching the show and feeling this cognitive dissonance inside, like, where did this character come from? Like, why is there just a random black guy in a village that should be fairly ethnically homogenous? Instead, it's, okay, this makes sense. Even though they made this decision, maybe the casting decision was rooted in the fact that, hey, we don't have any black characters but at least they chose a character whose backstory would make sense with that in mind. You know, he's a former slave from a different part of the world. That's a fairly organic decision, even though it's different from the book. It's not that you can't change what's in the book. It's just that you have to find a way to do it organically. And as a result, I don't think that character was disruptive to your immersion at all. I don't think the slave army was disruptive at all. The Dothraki, the Dothraki, they weren't disruptive at all. I'm sure that they fit. I mean, they're obviously kind of Mongolian. You know, they have this sort of Mongolian vibe to them. And they're from a different part of the world. And all of them look that way. Everybody in that tribe, in that horde, looked that way. You don't think about it. And if they made that, here's the thing too, because that's like a, a heavily Eastern looking group, because they have a, a darker complexion, Asian features, you wouldn't want them to look different. You wouldn't want diversity among the Dothraki in that story. Why would they be diverse? You wouldn't make them diverse just for the sake of it, because they represent a tribe. And it's, I'm sure that's how the book represents them. From what I understand, the books represent them similarly. So it's consistent with the book, but it also makes sense and feels organic when they put it on screen. And going back further, you know, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And Morgan Freeman is one of the main characters. But it makes sense why he's in it. The movie starts out where Robin Hood is in prison in the Middle East. 
He's in prison with a Moorish Muslim. They escape prison together. Robin Hood saves his life. And the Moorish Muslim comes back to England with him because he owes him a life debt. And it fits. It doesn't feel disruptive. Like, even though Robin Hood is going around doing what Robin Hood does and he has a black man with him, it doesn't feel disruptive because it makes sense in the story. And it's done well. And they call attention to it also. There's a scene where Azim, which is Morgan Freeman, he's in the village, he's, he's, he's in the Sherwood Forest, and there's a little girl runs up to him and says, Did God paint you? Did God paint you? And he gives her some response about how God likes, uh, likes people to have many colors, something to that effect. But people are aware of it, and people treat him differently throughout the entire movie. You know, Robin Hood probably isn't a real story. It's a part of English mythology. They didn't change half of the merry men of Sherwood Forest to be black. But they have a black character. He's one of the main characters, one of the, the most prominent characters in the entire story. But it's not disruptive because he's a Moorish Muslim who Robin Hood met in the Middle East. And it actually adds to the story. I can't imagine Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, without him. And, you know, Robin Hood, Men in Tights made fun of it. Dave Chappelle's in that. You know, when I was a kid, I, I had no idea who Dave Chappelle was. But Dave Chappelle plays one of the merry men in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, and they make fun of it. He wears a backwards hat that has an adjustable strip on it, like a ball cap. He's kind of, he's black. They're making fun of the fact that, oh, hey, there's a random black guy. And we're kind of stereotyping him. And that's the joke. The joke is that it's inorganic. But you know what's funny is that's what a lot of this stuff feels like now. We're like, we're just going to have a random black guy and there's going to be no context. And nobody's going to really acknowledge how weird that is in a Eurocentric story. So Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves did it well where they acknowledged it, where people treat him differently, they react to it because it's not the norm for them. And in doing so, they actually make it... He stands out less. That's what's interesting. He stands out less. Even though they acknowledge it in the story, he stands out less because it makes sense. So there's a way to do that. And I'm trying to remember if that's in any of the classic Robin Hood stories... If they had a character, I think they might have. I don't know if they invented that character for the movie, but either way, it fit, and I can't imagine the movie without him. It made the story better, and that's a big factor. Does it make the story better? And in the case of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, it absolutely did. It made the story better that Morgan Freeman was one of the main characters. I think that part of it was him. I don't think anybody else could have done that role. But did somebody like that movie more for that reason? Were there black kids who saw Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and said like, I like this more because I see myself. I see Morgan Freeman on screen. I don't know. I've never asked anybody that. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves didn't seem to appeal to black audiences. 
There might have been black people who liked it, but it, it didn't seem like because Morgan Freeman was on screen, it became wildly popular with black people. And that's kind of the point I was getting at a minute ago, which is that when they make these decisions, one, I think that one wasn't pandering. It wasn't heavy-handed. But when they actually do make a deliberate casting decision to make it more inclusive, does it appeal to those people who are now being represented? Does it appeal to them in a significant way that is worth doing? I would argue that it doesn't. I would argue that when you watch Lord of the Rings, you're watching Lord of the Rings because you know what it's all about. You know what it represents. You know where it comes from. And just in the same way that you would watch a samurai movie and be like, yeah, all the characters are going to be Japanese. You would watch Lord of the Rings, and even though it's fiction, you would have a similar response. I understand that the characters aren't going to represent America in the 21st century. And actually, it's going to make that story. Chances are, you know, with the level of focus that goes into that, it's going to make the story more distracting. It's going to make it more disconnected. Because time and resources have been put into that. And people have spent time justifying the decision. They've been having meetings. They've spent time that they otherwise could have spent on other aspects on that. And I, I think very rarely is that going to do a service to it. So is are these decisions actually doing what they say they're doing, which is appealing to a broader audience? I mean, I know when they make a comic book character a lesbian or bisexual, there is going to be a certain number of people out there who are lesbian or bisexual who are like, oh, man, I feel seen now. I like this now. But we also see where it doesn't sell as well in general. We can see that when these decisions are made, they often don't sell as well. They don't have the cultural staying power. They don't become fixtures. And it's not because people are prejudiced. It's because it's, it, it's, it's, like, it's almost like breaking the fourth wall. You're now thinking about the decision-making that went into it. You're breaking immersion. But in many cases, you know, this is done to appeal to liberal white audiences. Again, it's not that there are large groups of black people who are like, yeah, I just couldn't get into Lord of the Rings because there wasn't a black hobbit. It's appealing to that person who's going to watch that and go, oh, man, they're so progressive. Oh, I just I love progressive Lord of the Rings. And the people who think that way are largely white liberals. And the people making the decisions are largely white liberals. These aren't black stories. Because that's the other side of it is. It's probably going to be like like the, the sort of story that's going to appeal more to a black audience. Is probably going to come from black people. There's plenty of evidence of that. The sort of stories they are actually going to relate to. Chances are are going to be the product of black people. Which is why nobody should have a problem with a movie 
appealing to black people. A story that comes organically from a black creator and appeals to a black audience. If that's been underrepresented, which you could say it has been, well, we should have that. We should have those movies. We should have those stories. But trying to accommodate black audiences by changing characters doesn't seem to have the effect of making them feel seen and making those stories more appealing. And we see that it usually goes hand in hand with an overall drop in quality. So it doesn't seem to have any net positive to it. And I think one of the reasons why I'm interested in this one is because like what is what does it tell us about our own sense of identity and what we want to see? Where does it end? When when do we get to stop doing this for every movie? When do we stop just doing this with every single thing that comes out without getting criticized for it like we saw with Once Upon a Time in America? Obviously it was a successful movie. But still, like the fact that casting a primarily white cast was met with any level of criticism tells you that when you do stray from this trend, people notice and they use that as an opportunity to signal to attack. And then the, the third part of that, though, too, is... Is this actually contributing to more of a divide? Is this actually causing more tension? Is this unifying us? Or is it dividing us further? I would argue it's divisive. It's certainly distracting. But I would argue it's divisive. And doesn't actually speak to human nature in the way that it thinks it is. You know, because so much is focused on this. You know, so much is focused on this idea of representation. And then that becomes a whole... It becomes a, a, a very complicated conversation that you have to have constantly whenever you put an emphasis on race, it actually ends up placing a lot more of an emphasis on race than, than would otherwise be there. It ends up putting a lot more emphasis on gender and sexuality than would otherwise be there, rather than creating an organic story. And then it also creates this sort of get-out-of-jail-free card. We saw that with the, Go the Ghostbusters movie a few years ago, where people hated the Ghostbusters movie where they changed the cast to women. And when people hate that, the response is, oh, they hate it because they hate women. It's misogyny. People didn't dislike Ghostbusters because it was a bad movie or they didn't like it. They don't like it for this reason. It gives you this sort of excuse. I mean, we see that in politics. You know, Joe Obama, Ben Biden when he was running for president, he made a comment where he was like, we need a black woman to be my vice president. He made that comment. And then when they did that, they chose one who's not very well liked by anybody. Not well liked by Democrats. Democrats don't like her. We saw how successful she was in the primaries. Not very successful at all. 
She's a very unlikable person. And, um, but you'll see that on occasion where she gets criticism and people will say, well, they're criticizing her because she's a woman and she's black. So even though that was the decision, when you make the decision to, to put her in that position because she is a black woman, you now have this excuse for when people don't like her, which is that, oh, they don't like her because she's a black woman. It's not because she just has an unlikable personality. It's not that she feels completely artificial. So you, you write that in. You write in that excuse where it's like, oh, this would have been great. If they would just stop being prejudiced against her, she would be one of the best vice presidents of all time. No, of course not. Of course she wouldn't. Oh, Ghostbusters. If people just, if, if they didn't hate women, if they weren't misogynists, This would have been a wildly successful movie. This would have been a classic. No, it wouldn't. So you write in this sort of excuse where, oh, the reason people don't like it is because they're just, they're so racist and prejudiced. Meanwhile, it's like you made the decision. The decision was rooted in race. And so as a result, anybody who doesn't like that decision is somehow challenging race itself. They're challenging diversity itself. If you don't want to see black hobbits or if black hobbits ruin your experience in some way or take away, let's not say ruin, but just take away from your experience watching Lord of the Rings. It must come from the fact that you think black people shouldn't be on screen. You think black people shouldn't be characters in movies. You know, so that's written into this. And we can see that none of this stuff has staying power. These stories that use the it's a small world effect don't have staying power. And we can see that from just the way that audiences respond to them. We can see it from the criticism. And even though people will avoid criticizing the casting decisions, you know, I was talking about that Wheel of Time review that I was reading, one of the first ones that comes up, this very detailed criticism of the Wheel of Time show. And the guy said, I had other problems with it that I won't mention here. Who knows what those are? But he didn't talk about casting. He criticized everything about the show. He didn't mention that the casting rubbed him the wrong way. The girl who reviewed Anne Boleyn and said, you know, that I always reference, but just it stood out to me because it's like she criticized everything about it, but she, she felt the need to specifically say that casting decision was a good one. So it's kind of the elephant in the room with all this stuff. And if we are so tribal that we need to see ourselves in everything, if we are so tribal, and I mean, there's something to be said for that. A tribe of people, a village of people who are all ethnically homogenous, develop their own lore, their own storytelling, and it often involves them. Sometimes that's just because they're so isolated that that's all they know. 
Like if a remote village of people, a remote tribe develops their own stories and lore, it's gonna, chances are it's going to involve characters like them because that's all they know. But they're also maybe more interested in it. They're going to write about people who resemble their tribe rather than another tribe. And if that's what people want to see, if that's even a part of what people want, I want to see my tribe represented. It makes sense that when a decision is made to remove your tribe, even if your tribe has been represented historically, you know, I wouldn't argue that movies haven't been heavily white forever. But if a decision is made to, um, to remove your tribe, even if you have been represented you might feel put off for the same reason that somebody else might feel put on. They might feel, they might like it. You might not like it for the same reasons. And I think it's good to have characters who represent different people. I mean, there's a quote that people always reference when this subject comes up, which is that, like Whoopi Goldberg was watching a TV show as a kid, and she said like, Mom, Mom, look, there's a black lady on TV and she's not a maid. You know, so there's something to be said for that. They're like, you know, at a certain point in time, especially black kids were like, wow, like I get to see characters like me do things that aren't just subservient. You know, making the decision to have more black stories was a good thing. Making the the decision to have characters, black characters, who were dynamic and interesting in their own right was a good thing. I would never argue against that, you know? I would never argue against that. But now we can see where people are represented. There is a lot of representation. It has become the rule. The rule has become that if you are casting a show or a movie, you're going to include a lot of different people. So, um... Uh, you know, it is what it is. But I think it deserves a more nuanced discussion. It deserves a much more nuanced discussion. And nobody should feel bad for reacting one way or another. You know, nobody should be demonized because they see this trend and they're like, hey, you know, this is, this is ruining stories or taking away from them not that it's the the single factor because like i said when these sorts of decisions are being made when production meetings are involving these discussions it's distracting from other elements and i've used examples before of meetings i've been in at jobs where these discussions come up and they distract from other things And usually the reason they even come up is because somebody wants to signal something. Somebody wants to put themselves on a moral pedestal. And when someone does that, you can't challenge them without seeming like you're challenging... You can't challenge that without seeming like you're prejudiced. You can't challenge that without seeming like you have... I don't know. You 
You can't be the first person to stop clapping. You have to applaud it. There's no breaks built in. And I think that's the big thing that I'm talking about here. There are no breaks built into this. And even if America in 20 years is a a much more mixed melting pot than it is now, is that what people are going to want to see? Are people, are immigrants going to want to see movies that have each person represented? Do we want to watch movies that look like the Burger King Kids Club? And we can see where that's an advertisement. And there's there's a phone call. One sec. Amazing how disruptive that is. I still haven't canceled the landline that my mom had. It's amazing how just that ringing phone is so disruptive. That's something you realize in meditation is just what sounds are disruptive and what aren't. Like, Batty can be barking in my ear while I'm trying to meditate. And yeah, it's distracting. It can be loud. But it doesn't grate against my soul. Whereas if my phone is on vibrate and I get a text message when I'm meditating, it does grate against my soul. That vibration is disruptive. If the landline rings while I'm trying to meditate, it's disruptive. The sound of children playing loudly outside isn't. It's funny, like technological sounds do something to you when you're in a pure state of mind. Whereas just the sounds of life don't. Even if the sounds of life are annoying. Just kind of funny how that works. But, you know, it's, I don't think that anybody wants to see the Burger King Kids Club as the cast of every movie. It's like, it makes sense maybe if you're selling hamburgers. Hey, we're selling hamburgers. Let's have our mascot group be a white kid, a black kid, an Asian kid, a kid in a wheelchair, a girl. That makes sense if you're selling hamburgers. It's just pure advertising. But do do black people want to see the Burger King Kids Club in every movie? Do people in wheelchairs want to see the Burger King Kids Club in every movie? If a kid in a wheelchair is watching a fantasy movie... Does he need the main character to be in a wheelchair? He knows that he's limited. A kid in a wheelchair knows that he can't walk. And he knows that a certain sort of of story can only be told by somebody, can only be told about somebody who walks. So, does he need to be represented by the hero in a fantasy story? Probably not. Maybe there's a story that can be told. Maybe a story can be told about a disabled person who is heroic one way or another. But it's probably going to be a different story. Lord of the Rings is going to be a much different story if Frodo's in a wheelchair. A a much different story. So do people actually want to see It's a Small World? Do they want to see... Um, the Burger King Kids Club everywhere, in every story. I don't think so. 
Even the people who may have been excluded in the past, I don't believe want to see them. I'm not going to speak for them, but we don't see them respond that favorably either. We don't see the average black person going, oh, you know what? I'm a huge Wheel of Time fan now. I'm not going to say there's no black people who feel that way. But is that even a motivation inside of people? We want to see stories that are organic. We want to see stories that make sense. We want to see characters that make sense in that story. And does it divide us further when you repeatedly do this? Does it divide us further when you um, manufacture the... When you manufacture a world that doesn't feel natural. Because that's the amazing thing about fiction. Is that even though fiction is by its very nature unnatural. It's going beyond what we experience in the day to day. What makes good fiction attractive is that it feels natural. And what's being done is unnatural. And beyond just being more divisive. Even though it's in theory, trying to unify people, even though it's in theory trying to make for a more harmonious culture, it's actually making things feel more unnatural. And we need to relate to stories. We need stories in our life. I can't imagine what my childhood would be like if I didn't get deeply into certain fictional stories. My life would be substantially different. My real waking life would be substantially different. And so by giving us these cheap stories that come and go, they're not even successful. I mean, I'll be curious if the Wheel of Time lasts another season. I'll be curious if they can actually keep that going. Because, I mean, I don't know what was in this first season, but I imagine it was representative of the first book, which, having read the first four books of Wheel of Time, it drops off very hard after that first book. I know hardcore Wheel of Time fans would disagree, and they'd be like, no, all 14 books are what make it what it is. If it started appealing to me less and less after the first book, I can tell you that the story is going to appeal to the average person less and less. So the story gets more convoluted and burdensome as it goes on. Plus, it wasn't even that appealing to people as it is. So I'd be surprised if they're able to sustain this Wheel of Time story past a couple seasons. Once they get past the story of the first book, I'd be surprised if they can really take it much further. Did you think you were going to do 20 seasons of this? Did you think you were going to do however many seasons it takes to cover the material in the first 14 books? It's going to be very difficult. We saw how Game of Thrones dropped off. We saw how hard that dropped off. And that was far fewer seasons, far less material. And also a show that had a lot more momentum going in where people loved it. People loved Game of Thrones. I did. I saw it way late. I didn't watch it when it came on. I started watching it like before, I think around before the seventh season maybe. So I caught up. I did did a little binge watching. And I wanted to binge watch it. 
I was sitting there at night and I would watch three episodes, four episodes in a row. Because it was good. But even a show that had that much popularity dropped off hard. So we all time, it's going to be hard to do that to begin with. But going in, not even that many people like it. And I feel like it's a good case study in this. It's a good case study when it comes to this topic. But the fact that you can't even talk about it at all. You can't challenge this rule at all. You can't ask what it's actually doing, whether it's having not just any positive impact, but whether it's actually having a negative impact on the dynamics between different groups of people. And I think it is having a negative impact. Because there are people out there, and you don't hear from them because they're scared to say anything. And maybe it's just not that important to them to say anything. But I know these people, and they're people who, ha- who are liberals, who have no racial prejudice ever, who still roll their eyes when they see the Burger King Kids Club in movies. And um, there, there is a significant number of people out there like that. And to say that that's a prejudiced reaction is nonsense. Because you know what? The people who it's pandering to often react the same way too. It's something that's just not going to appeal to them. And people know when they're being pandered to. People aren't stupid. They know when Hollywood is just trying to pander to them. And I don't think that black people themselves watch something like that and say, Oh, I feel seen now. I couldn't get into this before. Oh, fantasy was elusive to me. I just I didn't feel like I could, I could get into fantasy stories because the villages didn't have me in them. I think it's insulting to them. I think it's insulting to people's taste and what makes them like what they like. So I would say all of this has a net negative, which is why I notice it, which is why I think about it. And the fact that we can't even have a public conversation about why this is happening to the degree that it's happening. How we can pump the brakes on it. And I think that's indicative of a far greater problem, which is why I think about this. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can